Welcome back to the By the Numbers podcast, the official podcast of the Villanova Sports Analyst Club. Uh, my name is Noah, uh, and I am joined by by two other um, people today. First, usual co-host, Kevin. Kevin, how's it going? Doing great. Doing great, Noah. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to talk about some Villanova basketball, which is my favorite time of the year, especially senior year. Yeah, talking about Villanova basketball always feels very um, front and center uh, in our minds. Um, and it's been very frustrating over the past week and a half a little bit. But um, before getting into that, I will also hand it over to Charlie, returning guest. Charlie, how are you doing? What's going on, guys? Um, happy to be back. Definitely a lot to uh, talk about. Yeah, so today, definitely a lot to talk about, like Charlie's mentioned. So um, we'll start off with a, a little note on the World Series before getting into um, diving deep into Villanova basketball, what we've, what we've seen from the first three games so far. Uh, touch a little bit on some some of the kind of recent action in the NFL before finishing on a little bit of a look ahead to um, the U.S. Uh, and the World Cup, which is starting this coming weekend, which is kind of crazy. So um, before getting to Villanova basketball, uh, definitely worth mentioning um, the Phillies were not able to pull it out. Uh, and the Ashes were able to win, win the World Series in six games, I think, uh, going back to Houston in that sixth game. Um, so I, I'm not a big baseball fan. I was pulling for the Phillies just because, you know, Philadelphia. But – um, any kind of any reactions on on your guys' parts to kind of the Astros being able to pull it out here? Yeah, um, a great run from the Phillies, like you said. Um, kind of sad it had to end that way, but um, nevertheless, well deserved World Series win from the Astros. Um, I think a big part of that was because of the pitching of Framber Valdez. Um, he was definitely the highlight of the rotation going 2-0 with a 1.46 ERA, including that Game 6 win. Um, so, yeah, definitely a major piece of the puzzle for them. Um, but Jeremy Pena, the rookie, um, earned the World Series MVP, batting 400 over the course of the six games and having numerous amounts of clutch hits. So really impressive from the rookie, and I think it's just this a sign of things to come for him. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Kevin, any, any, any kind of anything to add there? I don't have a whole lot of uh, baseball insights here, but I will say it's tough to see, you know, that big market team in the Astros pull it out and clearly they are the better team, but I was hoping for, you know, an underdog in the Phillies who even talking to Phillies fans, they seem to think that they really didn't have a chance this year, but kept winning and kept winning. Tough to see it uh, not go the way they intended, but uh, exciting uh, to you know experience the whole the whole World Series run at uh, a Philly school. So it was, it was a good run. Yeah, uh, de- definitely can agree with that. Um, not I'm trying to add on my part, but um, getting into something I know a little bit more about um, is Villanova basketball, who has played three games so far. Um, Looked very underwhelming in those three games. Uh, kind of coming off, I'm blanking the, the first one of the year, but we, you know, losing to Temple game two um, and then showing a really non-convincing performance against Delaware State. Um, I I think there's a lot to go over here, a lot to talk about. You know, Kyle Neptune coming in as a new coach. What are we looking at in terms of rotations? Who's getting minutes? What do we think about this team looking forward? So I, I think a, a decent way to structure this is kind of, I think first thing we can do is look at a little bit of kind of the negative sides side of the team. 
um, because I think there's that's worth talking about and we need to talk about it, even if it's not kind of our favorite thing to talk about. Uh, and then also the positive things that we've seen so far and put the potential for improvement over the course of the year. Uh, and then finally, we can finish with predictions. But um, I guess we'll start first. Kevin, I'll throw it to you. What, you know, two and one loss to Temple that is just brutal in terms of kind of a big five Philadelphia rivalry uh, and really not a great performance in Delaware State 0 of 16 in the first half from three. What have you seen from Villanova basketball that has not really fit what you'd expect out of a classic Villanova team? Yeah, sure. So you said we're starting with the negatives. I will preface this with I have a lot more positive things to say than most people um who are critiquing Villanova basketball might. But, you know, if we're going to talk about the negatives, there's plenty to talk about. I, I think it's just a consistency of not blowing out games. I mean, we we blew out the game against LaSalle at the end there. But, you know, a team like Temple, you just let them hang around. And Dell State the same way. It, you know that you can beat them in the end. And Temple, you know, there was a tough call at the end of that game where I don't think they could they should have called that foul to, to basically hand them the, the win but nevertheless we shouldn't have been there in the first place we shouldn't have let them hang around in that way Delaware State was the same way um, I mean I, I can let you guys continue to talk about the negatives but I do have some positive things to say yeah we will we will for sure come back to that Kevin I, I think I'd agree that the ball bounces a couple different ways and we're 3-0 and and it's a little bit less hesitant uh, but I, I'll hold off. I'll, Charlie, I'll pass to you first, and I'll kind of give at least some points of criticism on what I've seen so far. Yeah. Um, what I have to say, I, I just think a lot of people are going to look at this team and be like, oh, and three against the spread. Um, they're they're kind of out of it. Um, but like we know, this is a team that you can like never really count out. Um, and they have a lot of competitive games down the line they have a game versus Michigan State this Friday which is really big and it's like those those big games on the road that that are uh that are definitely going to uh we're definitely going to look at those games in the future like if you're losing the second game of the year to Temple obviously it's it's not a great look but down the road I mean you don't it's not it's definitely not something that's going to stand out um just a key thing about that game we shot better um, from the field and from three than Temple, 48% from the field as opposed to 38 from them, and then 29% from three to 22% from them. Um, the problem is just the turnovers, um, and that's something that you can just limit with chemistry. They got the, um, a lot of freshmen, Armstrong, Housen, and those are guys that obviously have the jitters early in the, se- early in the season. Um, but, yeah, turnover is definitely not a problem. Um they're, they're, I think they're shooting the ball well. I mean, that first half yesterday obviously wasn't, you know, something that was ideal. But, um, but yeah, I think it, it's like when you miss 10 threes, you're, it's just all in the head with those next six. And, and we saw it in the second half. You know, they kind of forgot that they were 0-16 from three and started to pick it up a little bit. But, yeah, no, like I said, you can just never really – count this team out um and definitely just look at those big games in the future and um if we're able to pull those out then i think that's really big yeah no i I agree i think there's some bigger tasks coming up and this team could definitely surprise um there are a a couple observations that i have that make me a little bit i mean it just points a difference that are a little bit um 
you know, I just want to point out that, I mean, I think it has to point out. Um, first of all, second half against Temple, the offense stagnates a thousand percent. Pretty much the only source of points is Caleb Daniel Iso or kind of post moves from Eric Dixon, uh, who are two leading scorers. No surprise. Brandon Slater with the ball is positive, but not overly positive. Um, tendency to not not the tightest handle the ball. So um, it's not ideal. I think Jordan Longino's looked better than he did last year and is playing positively, but um, it's still, I think this team is still missing Justin Moore and Cam Whitmore in terms of an offensive identity. Uh, I, first game when the threes are falling, the ball movement looks better. It stagnates a little bit in game two, which is a little bit frustrating. Um, Nana and Joku not getting any play time is frustrating to me because, I mean, we're going to be playing like Creighton and like Georgetown who have, or not Georgetown, um, just teams that have bigs that are going to dominate us. And if we don't have like a backup center to Eric Dixon, I mean, I think there could be issues in terms of giving up offensive rebounds, defending on the other end there. I mean, there are possessions where Caleb Daniels has to guard bigs. Um, I mean, when Eric Dixon has to get a breather, if he gets into foul trouble, there are just issues because, you know, in terms of boxing out, um, defending down low, if we run into a dominant defensive force, it's going to be, uh, something to watch for sure. And him not getting minutes is a little bit worrying in terms of what type of depth we have in the front court. But um, I think that's decently solvable. Um, I, I guess I want to see more out of this team. I, I like the I, – yeah, I guess we need to see more in terms of kind of stability, in terms of stats. It's hard to look at kind of aggregated stats at this point in the year because it's three games then uh, to see how this team actually evens out in terms of turnovers and, and three-point shooting, which I think are two kind of – Key points in terms of Villanova's identity, low turnovers, high, high-ish, three-point percentage. Um, so I, I think there are some some worries, but switching over to the positive side of things, it's been good to see a lot of new guys. Um, and I, I certainly have more to say about the positive side of things. Um, Kevin, I'll throw it back to you since I know you, you definitely had some more positive things to say, but I, I do think it is worth noting some of those negative things before we get into kind of what we can look up to. Totally. I mean, we have high expectations for this team. We should be down on them when they're not performing up to those expectations. But nevertheless, I'm very happy with how our young guys are looking. Um, I know this podcast is called By the Numbers, but I'm going to go with the eye check here. I was front and center at the game yesterday against Dell State, and I saw Mark Armstrong just with confidence, um, absolutely balling. Uh, and he, he hit a few threes I believe or at least one three and a few pull-up jumpers and he just looked like he did in the USA basketball highlights he's just got that confidence and you know I'm just surprised that you know with him and and with um with um what's his name Angelo Brizzy as our other point guards who could be filling in for um for Archie Diakono, I don't know why they don't get more minutes. I don't know why Kyle Neptune's favoring Archie Diakono. He gets a ton of hate by a lot of Villanova players, or, or sorry, fans, but Angelo Brizzy seems to have made some great improvements in his redshirt year, and he only got 11 minutes against Temple, I believe, and Chris is getting upwards over 20 minutes. Um, and so I, I think he got these guys with confidence um and it's it's just great to see brendan housen hit a few threes the entire crowd was just electric after those and chanting his name every time he got subbed in um 
and I just think it's so great to see the young guys one get minutes because that's something that Jay, you know, as great of a basketball coach that I think he is, and I think he's one of the best of all time, didn't favor the freshman minutes as much. And I'm loving to see Kyle Neptune actually give these young players a chance to build some confidence, which we'll need uh, as far as depth uh, when we get back into, you know, the Justin Moore and Cam Whitmore era, which hopefully will be the second half of this season. But nevertheless, I, I think that just having all of the confidence and real game experience um, is great to see. Uh, from these young guys. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's been great to see. Um, I know definitely one point of difference and one question coming into the year was Jay Wright was always someone who was very tentative playing young guys, and Kyle Neptune, somewhat out of necessity, has been absolutely ready to put in guys early and often. Uh, and even I'll, I'll, I'll get into it a little bit later. I think Brendan Housen looked pretty re- really good last night. Um, despite the game being pretty close, he he played pretty well. Um, down towards the end of the game. Um, so definitely agree with those points. Uh, Charlie, what about, you, what about you? What has encouraged you about um, the, the performances so far? Yeah, um, I was at that game as well. So, um, And I do like what Kevin said about um, just the confidence of the young guys. I think that definitely stood out. Um, a lot of people, like Kevin said, are really down on Chris Archidiakono, just the playing time that he's been getting. Um that game against Temple, he had 10 rebounds, but and that might be one of the reasons why, you know, Neptune is so insistent that he's on the floor. But um, just there's not really a lot of, like, threat to score from him. And when you have a guy like Brendan Housen who's drilling a three, you know, 30 seconds into him getting checked into the game, I mean, that's the things that, like, they're going to not only, like, win you games, like, those are the things that, like, get the crowd going and – when the crowd gets going, that gets the team going. Um, but, you yeah, know, definitely a lot of good things from the freshmen. Um, that first game against LaSalle, I really like Caleb Daniels' performance. He just kind of, like, was hitting every shot, showing that he could take over a game if it gets to that point. Um, and I think they're just – they're doing a solid job just, you know, filling up the time until guys – like Justin Warren, Cam Whitmore come back because a lot of people are forgetting that those guys are, are not on the floor and they're, they're here, you know? Um, so yeah, just until they come back, we just kind of got to like hold it down um, because it's no joke. Like they're, they're studs. Um, so yeah, definitely things to look forward to. Yeah, for sure. And the, the ability to play the young guys now, build some confidence there, which I would definitely agree that we've seen more and more. Um, you know, them growing into being able to play. And once we get the other guys back, it'll be able to hopefully mesh together in a way that makes this team elite. Um, or elite to an extent. We can talk about that later in a second. But I'm um, totally agree. Caleb Daniels been playing well. He was a guy who was a great scorer. He was the number one guy at Tulane uh, during his first two years in college basketball and has been kind of relegated to a different role on this team and is now kind of being placed back into those shoes. And um, I mean, I think he's a really, you know, you know, really solid facsimile for a number one guy in an elite team. I mean, he was kind of taking Temple almost entirely. I mean, and him and Eric Dixon were kind of playing well. I mean, that's not the way you want to model an offense, but the fact that you have a guy that's not even a number one option who can do that for you when you need it, um, I think he's a great option. Um, I mean, almost 17 points per game for the first few games is a great stat line for him. 
um, being able to kind of fill out that role. Uh, Eric Dixon being more um, more willing to shoot threes this year, uh, pretty notable through the first couple of games. You know, almost double his career average in three points attempted. Um, we'll see if that you know bears itself out in the long run, but um, that is an interesting uh, interesting point. Uh, I think, especially if this team is kind of looking for a greater scoring, that could be an option. Uh, the point about Chris Arshiak, no, I totally agree, Charlie, that offensively he just doesn't offer that much. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to take a lot of shots. It's I, I was talking with um, Kevin O'Donnell, who's also in the sports analytics club, and it's kind of like he doesn't offer a ton offensively, but he's not going to be chucking up shots when he shouldn't be. So he's kind of a guy that he he knows what his role is, and he's going to be able to perform that. Um, he can I think he can perform better defense than Brendan Hassan. Angelo Brizzy's a little bit more kind of awake, a little bit more. Uh, a little thicker, a little bit stronger, um, able to kind of stand up to guys a little bit better than those guys um, defensively. And, you know, as a senior, he has that game experience, so I understand wanting to play him. I would also agree that Brendan Housen and, and you know, Mark Armstrong and so busy, Angelo Brizzy, goodness gracious, um, can play a little bit better on the offensive end. So um, I'll be interested to see what Kyle Neptune decides in terms of that and, you know, thinking about that going forward. Um, you know, what have you guys thinking thought about Brandon Slater so far this year. I think he's kind of, you know, one of the returning veterans, been with the team the longest of any of the players on our entire roster. You know, he's put up 12 points per game so far. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if I have, you know, really a strong feelings on what, what have you guys thought about about his performance so far, Kevin? I'd like him to improve his shooting percentage more from behind the arc, but um, still his athleticism seems to be better than ever um he's still making those wow moves that he posted someone in the temple game which you know it's the type of thing that he's there for um but i would like to see him improve his shooting which is something that he seems to have developed after last season but we're going to need him at that shooting uh in that shooting filling that shooting gap from colin gillespie and jermaine samuels last year we really need guys to knock down hit shots from behind the arc. And I think that I can see him improving that over the course of the season. Yeah, that, that'll definitely be something to watch currently at um, 16.7% from three on, you know, I mean, it's again, that's six attempts and one, one of six on the season. So it's not a sample size to be kind of super, uh, you know, stuck to, but it, it is a, it is an issue if it, it sustains. Um, Charlie, what about you? What have you thought about Brandon Slater and any of these other other guys as well? Yeah, Slater. Um, I, I definitely agree that we're going to need more production from him, especially just a guy who he's seen Final Four games. He's been in that big game atmosphere. So we all know he's capable um, of doing big things. Definitely needs to uh, improve on shooting. Um but just a really good slasher. Um, he had one dunk in that Temple game that I think like everyone kind of like got on their feet. But um, but you yeah, know he um he, he's a big part of this team. Um, we're a hundred percent gonna need him down the line. Um, so yeah, just a little bit more from him. Yeah, for sure. Uh, definitely the highlight of the year so far that that poster in, in the Temple game, despite the loss. Um, and then I guess to to tie up this discussion so far. Um, what do we, you know, what are, what, what should we set our expectations at so far? What, what do we think this team is? 
what do we want them to show in terms of kind of changing those expectations? And, and via Kim Palm rankings, they're right about um, kind of 32, I think is kind of where he has them now, um, which, you know, outside the top 25, I think it's reasonable, fell out last week. Um, I'm, I'm curious, what do you guys think? What do you think we, we're a top blank team? You know, what, where do we fall in terms of kind of how good we are compared to these other teams? I know we haven't seen a lot of other teams play, but I'm um, just among the context of college basketball, where do you guys think we rank? I think we're an elite eight team. Um, and I think the only reason why I hesitate that we can go further than that is because I'm unsure about how much of a factor is the J Wright factor. Um, and so that is yet to be seen, especially when it comes to the play playoff experience or, or tournament experience. You know, Jay had so much experience in big games and Kyle Neptune has just never been there. And that's not a knock against him as a coach. It's just a lack of experience. So we'll see how his coaching improves uh, throughout the season. I have a lot of faith in him as a coach, but, you know, once we get back Cam Whitmore and Justin Moore, the, the sky's the limit as long as uh, the chemistry on the team is is sound and everyone's locked in. That's a, that's a, you know, that's a high expectation. It's a high bar to set, but I, I guess it's fair having gone to the final four last year. Um, I mean, if Cam Whitmore is, turns out to be what we think he can be and Justin Moore's healthy, then I don't think that's unreasonable. I, I don't know if as of right now I'd place that, but I definitely think it's reasonable. Charlie, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I think it's, it's kind of tough to tell right now, um, especially since we don't have more or Cam back. Um, I mean, I don't want to say like I we're capable of, of really doing anything. Um, and I think like a lot of it depends on how we play against these teams like Creighton who have, you know, seven foot guys, like you said before, like I just look back to that, that game against that big East championship game against Creighton last year um, when Kalkbrenner, their center just kind of dominated us in the paint. Um, and if teams are just doing that, to us, like again this year, I, I I just don't really know um how you can stop that. Um I know that Duke has a lot of guys who are like six ten, six eleven, seven foot. Like so if you run into a team like that in the tournament, I mean it's definitely not ideal. But I, I just I really want to see what this team looks like once Cam and Justin are back on the floor. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think we really just need to be able to hold hold down kind of a, a solid record before they can get back and, and then see what they can bring to the table before kind of establishing um, kind of the ceiling on this team in terms of the long run. As of now, you know, I think that this team, based on what we've seen so far, they get hot from three. It's it's going to look pretty good. Um, I think we need to see it against actual competition to see. You know, I think Villanova in previous years has had a, a terrible habit of playing down to competition at times, um, playing, playing with their food. And... I'm wondering if if the Temple thing could be could be that a case of that where I mean they didn't work playing great, um you know having those turnovers and then kind of split them and, and you know maybe you know Michigan State coming up Iowa State coming up the next week, um you know we we got there's some real opponents on the line that you know power five opponents that could pose a, a challenge and we'll see how the current team can stand up to that and I think we'll get a better idea of what this team looks like now even if we can't look ahead to Justin Moore and uh, and 
Whitmore coming back. Um, so with that, we will move on to um, the NFL, um, which is kind of where we're reaching, you know, getting getting closer to the end of the season. You know, we've got a lot of, a lot of ten, 10 games played for a lot of these teams. And um, I think we're getting a better idea of kind of what the playoffs are going to look like, but certainly nothing established yet, especially looking at the NFC, um, which we will, we will come back to for sure. Um, but I think, you know, one of the biggest surprises and one of the things that I really wanted to talk about today um, was Justin Fields, uh, because I think at the beginning of the year and even the first couple of games, you're looking at him and thinking, you know, it has there been a ton of improvement, a lot of, you know, you know, eight for 17, seven for 11, eight for 17, you know, eight for 17, zero touchdowns, two picks and week three against the Texans. Like that is, you know, not a significant improvement from the year before, um, but you keep progressing through the year. And you start to get some better performances. And I think over the past three to four weeks, we've seen a significant improvement in Justin Fields' performances that warrants conversation and how he may now fit into the plans of the Bears and how he fits into this kind of landscape of, of quarterback. So I have on our outline here that, you know, comparing him to Mac Jones, and I'll throw this Justin Fields conversation over – actually, Charlie, I'll throw it over to you quickly. So Justin Fields – you know, what have you been able to watch any of the games? I, I remember this weekend he I mean he said some breakout runs that have been you know highlight plays. What what have you thought about his performances um this year, kind of more recently as well? Yeah, um I think it's just kind of crazy what he's been doing over these last couple of weeks. Um I haven't been able to watch the actual games, but definitely highlights. I saw that what like sixty-five plus yard rushing touchdown that he had this past weekend. Um but a stat to look at 325 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns over the last two weeks. I mean, that's a stat that you're going to see from Derrick Henry when he's setting records. It's like crazy, like what he's been doing on the ground. Um, And simultaneously he's improving his pass game as well. Um, Limiting turnovers. He hasn't been fumbling the ball um, despite how much he's been running it. Um, and, And he really hasn't been throwing picks. Um, second in EPA per play over the last four weeks behind Patrick Mahomes. Um, and just like overall, I, I don't really know what it does. It doesn't do a lot like for the Bears. I mean, it, it definitely like shows a lot um, for the future. But as for this year, sitting at seven and three it, it, and with not a lot of, of additional tools to make a playoff run. Um, but yeah, no, like just looking toward the next year, um, if he's able to just keep this up, I, I mean, he could he could be an MVP candidate um, because these last couple of weeks have just been insane. Yeah, he's been. I mean, I think he broke the record for most yards or most rush yards in a game um, by an NFL quarterback during a regular season game, beating out Michael Vick. I think he had 178 yards last week. Um, so yeah, he's putting up crazy numbers in the ground. His athleticism is shining through, um, and he's been being a little bit better in terms of. of be able to pass and put the ball in, in places. Um, Kevin, what have you, what have you thought about um, Justin Fields? I, I also put on the slide, um, you know, what do we think about him in comparison to Mac Jones? And I'll, I'll pass it over to you as a Patriots. And what, what, what do you think about that question? So I wanted Justin Fields on the Patriots uh, when it came to the draft. Uh, it didn't work out that way. And I'll say it, it, there's no question. I would much rather have Justin Fields than Mac Jones. Um, I'm just going to throw some stats here. Uh, since it is by the numbers, 
Um, so his 67 yard touchdown broke the team record he set last week for the longest run by a Bills by a Bears quarterback ever. He's the first quarterback in NFL history with at least 100 y- rushing yards, two rushing touchdowns, and two passing touchdowns in a regular season game. First one in NFL history. He's the first Chicago quarterback in the Super Bowl era to rush for a touchdown in four consecutive games. With 555 rushing yards in the last five games, Fields has the most rushing yards by a quarterback over five game span in the Super Bowl era, breaking Lamar Jackson's record. So clearly Fields is the real deal, and he's doing all of that with zero offensive line and just a sorry franchise in the Chicago Bears. I apologize to any Chicago fans, but he's just imagine him on a more competent team. Um, he'd be, I mean, clearly he's breaking records that Lamar Jackson made. Um, so I totally believe in Justin Fields, also believe in his toughness, uh, and he's shown that since college. So really impressive stuff coming out of the, out of the Chicago Bears and Justin Fields. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, those are some pretty, you know, that, that company, those stats, it's crazy. I mean, the Bears are number one in the league in rush yards and, and dead last in passing yards. Um, you know, new kind of back office staff or front office staff um, in Chicago. Um, Matt Eberflus there as head coach, kind of rebuilding the team. I'd agree, like, the, the offensive line is still pretty bad. Um, and I just still think you're seeing Justin Fields hold onto the ball a little bit too long. Uh, he's kind of always been that guy that wants to make the play and he had pretty long, long reads in college, which was kind of helped explain a little bit why he's holding the ball for so long in college. But uh, I mean, he's making better decisions overall. It seems the term has been a little bit more limited, still throwing some picks. Um, The the passing has been better. He's been flashing some things that I mean, I think other, other analyses can can talk about better in terms of just his mechanics and where he's putting the ball. Um, A couple more weapons, on the team definitely helps. I think if they're able to build an offensive line and potentially get like our number one wide receiver, because I think we talked about at the trade deadline and having kind of two number two wide receivers, Darnell and Mooney um, and uh, God, the Steelers wide receiver they just traded for. But um, it's, yeah, definitely a guy that's, you know, very, you know, uh, very athletic, always going to be able to leverage his athleticism in games um, to be able to perform at a high level or, hopefully perform at a high level. Um, we just have to see how he can, if he can sustain this level um, and be able to kind of merge those two things and really evolve into an elite quarterback that I think we thought he had the potential to have, uh, potential to have coming into the year. Um, and moving on to a little bit of a different topic, I think a big game from this past weekend um, was, I, kinda, I think we should talk about a little bit, was the Bills um, losing to the Vikings. Um, in Buffalo, one of the craziest games of the year so far. Um, I mean, Bills moved to six and three, which is not great for them. Uh, Vikings still only one loss in the year. Um, I, I mean, I tied for the top of the NFC now that the Eagles have lost. So, you know, are, are we talking about the Vikings as, you know, the top team in the NFC? It's so not convincing based on the result of this game because the ball just bounced a couple different ways. Um, I mean, Charlie, I don't know if you're able to catch this game. I mean, I mean, we're talking about the Justin Jefferson catch like right before um, sorry, I'm recording, which is just nuts. Um, but, you know, uh, what were your immediate thoughts on this game from either side? I just thought game of the year. Um, 
when I was watching this game, it was one of the craziest games I think I've seen since that AFC Championship game last year. Um, the air raid was – both teams were dialed in. Um, 687 combined passing yards for both teams, but somehow just two passing touchdowns in the game. Um, a really strong game from Dalvin Cook, 119 rushing yards, 8.5 average yards per carry um, and a touchdown. So I think he's starting to pick it up a little bit, which is a big part of this uh, this Vikings team this year. Um, and then just Justin Jefferson. I mean, nearly 200 receiving yards, and that catch it was phenomenal. I think it's it was probably the best catch we've seen since the OBJ catch. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. It was a it was a pretty pretty crazy game. Um, but Kevin, I saw you shaking your head about that Justin Jefferson catch. I you know I I I, I was saying before that I think it might be the best catch that I've ever seen. I think it's up there, uh, but yeah, uh, definitely big game for, for Dalvin Cook, the Vikings. Um, what do you think about the game? It felt like a ping pong match, just back and forth and back and forth. Um, it was funny because I was at the library, you know, studying away, and I come home, and the Vikings are on the one yard line, about to score a touchdown to win the game, and they, the Bills defense comes up clutch, and then Josh Allen bumbles and. It just kept going back, and then Josh Allen makes the great drive to win. But ultimately, I think he deserves a lot of the blame for this one. Um, they have the Bills. Uh, if we go back to stats here, the Bills haven't scored a touchdown in the second half in three three consecutive games. Uh, Josh Allen, um, uh, let's see, Allen finished the game twenty nine of forty three for three hundred and thirty yards. One touchdown and two interceptions, and obviously the interception to blow the game up in overtime. Um, he threw two interceptions in three straight games and had just two passing touchdowns over his last 10 quarters of play. And so those numbers just point to Allen. I know he has the elbow injury and he was questionable even to begin with, but you could see his frustration at the end of that game. I think a lot of this... Um, is on him. I don't know how right he is, but um, and I don't know what that's going to entail towards their chances going forward. It seems like everyone everyone's thinking, even Vegas is thinking, oh, this is the year for the Bills. But we've been saying that for many years, and they haven't quite been able to break through. So obviously, you got to say hats off to the Vikings. They just look so strong. Um, and I think that Justin Jefferson catch i would agree swan i think that might be the greatest i've ever seen i don't want to be a prisoner of the moment here but that that's up there yeah it's 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 definitely close for sure and um i think justin jefferson especially deserves a lot of praise i think for the bills it's like you lose this game but i mean a couple turnovers in the red zone fourth down you don't convert just the absolute bonkers way that they the vikings score that last touchdown um, that, you know, a couple of other bounces to the ball and they win this game. Um, the Bills, just as long as they can get to the playoffs, it's like they have the talent that they need. Um, but, you know, one one stat that I found about Justin Jefferson that I thought was very illuminating was that, you know, via next-gen stats, he was responsible for nine receptions with a sub-50% completion probability. So nine of his 10 receptions in the game had a lower than 50% chance of being completed, um, which is the most in a game by any receiver in the next-gen stats era. No other players had more than six in a single game, and he had nine. Um, 
which is just, I mean, he's an elite, elite wide receiver. When you come to talking about wide receivers, like he, ha- I mean, he just has to be up there. And this is kind of one of those performances that cements it for you. Um, I think it's, you know, one of the things that I've heard in on a, on a different, you know, on a different podcast was that this, the Vikings can prove that they hang here. They can hang in these tight games where they're going kind of blow for blow um, with the Buffalo Bills. And they, they're able to prove that in this game. And, and when even if the circumstances were a little weird, but being able to be able to drive down the field, um, you have a guy like Justin Jefferson where you can kind of just throw it up and trust that he's going to be able to get those balls, um, which is incredibly impressive. Um, and I think, you know, the Vikings deserve all the crowd in the world for being able to make that happen. Um, so moving on to um, kind of a, a little bit of a, a broader discussion of the league at this point. We are at the point in the season where we have a very interesting playoff picture um, because the NFC is just not very good this year. Um, in terms of the wild card spots, we currently in the NFC are looking at the New York Giants at seven and two at the five seed, the Dallas Cowboys at six and three to six, and the 49ers at five and four with the seven seed. My question for for today is among kind of the losing the teams with losing records in the NFC who are kind of a couple games out of the playoff picture, who are the more likely to be able to make it into that playoff picture? Um, and the teams that I, that we have here that I kind of want to propose to you, we've got the Packers, which just picked up a big win over the Cowboys, um, the Cardinals with four and six, uh, and then the Broncos or the Rams. I guess Broncos would be AFC, um, but Rams at three and six, who I guess just saw Scooper got today as well. Um, you know, any of the – there's no way you guys think the Broncos are going to be kind of fitting back into this picture, um, but – what, what do you think about any of these teams? I think also um, Washington as a Washington football team at five and five. Um, you, we, there's a scenario where the NFC East gets all four of its teams in the playoffs. I think that's reasonable. Um, so, you know, what do you guys think about these losing record teams? Charlie, I'll throw it to you first. Um, which of these teams are kind of what, what are your thoughts on these teams and their kind of prospects for the rest of the year? Yeah, I'll probably start with the Packers. Um, and it's kind of crazy saying this, um, especially after losing, what was it, I think four games in a row. Um, but just that game this weekend, that just looked like a game, like that looked like a Packers team that we were seeing in the NFC Championship, you know, like a couple years back. Because that, I mean, they were, they played amazing. Like um, a huge part of that was crazy. Christian Watson, who kind of came out of nowhere, three touchdowns, definitely not expecting that against arguably the NFL's best defense. Um, and then just Aaron Jones continues to be a really pivotal part of the offense, um, 138 rushing yards and a touchdown in that game. Um, but, yeah, I, I think it's it's going to be difficult for the Packers to uh, to climb their way back into this playoff race because four and six is definitely not ideal but I think that they have Aaron Rodgers you know he we know what he's capable of doing um and if he if this was the beginning of a rhythm that he's going to find himself in then the other team's got to watch out um but yeah I, I think that the they're they're capable of uh of sneaking into the playoffs but it's definitely going to be tough for them 
Yeah, I, I think you're right where it's Aaron Rodgers so that the team gels and they can they can do whatever they want. And even with the wide receivers they have, like as long as Aaron Rodgers is playing pretty well, um, then I think they can continue to make it. But they may have dug themselves too big of a hole uh, at this point um, to make it back. But who knows? The NFC is just bad enough this year to where really anything is possible. Um, Kevin, what do you what do you think about these teams? What do you think of the Packers or one of the other teams that we're talking about? Yeah, so the team that I'm gonna pick is the Cardinals, and there's a couple of reasons for that. Partially because I just really believe in Kyler Murray, um, and the other reason is I look at their schedule. They've had a strong schedule. I know they don't have a winning record, but you look at the games that they lost. They lost a game to the Chiefs. They lost a oh, one possession game to the Rams. They lost a game to the uh, previously undefeated Eagles. Um, they lost to the Seahawks, which we never would have thought were going to be as good, but they're pretty good. They actually lost lost twice to them. And so, and those are their only losses. And then you look at the end of their season, they're going to play the 49ers, the Patriots, which I hate to say are not anything special this year, the Broncos, which same deal, and, you know, all the Falcons. And so I don't see a whole lot of challenges in their future and I see a lot of challenges in their past and for that reason I believe in Kyler Murray and the Cardinals uh you mentioned the idea of a five and five team also being sort of in this conversation I think it's a cheat answer but I think also we can add Tampa Bay is five and five now um and I think that they have a good shot of you know pulling something together in the postseason as Tom Brady tends to do but you know, I, I'll shut up about Tom Brady in, in this episode, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they were able to get a big win um, in Munich over Seattle. I think that was a was an important win for them. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, the Cardinals, it, it, they haven't looked good. Like, they haven't played very well. Kyler is not playing very well. Um, advanced stats, why? Just not, not been a very efficient performance by, you know, you get EPA per play, a below average in terms of EPA per play, below average in completion percentage, above expected. Um, so, so not playing well on kind of an advanced stat level. Uh, and then you kind of look at kind of other aspects of this team, how they're performing, you know, their, their rush defense is really, is played above average. Hash defense has been slightly below average. Uh, so when your quarterback's not playing very well, your offense isn't clicking, isn't gelling. Uh, and then you don't have the, one of the be- better defenses in the league, then you're going to have some issues, uh, which they do in a division where, where their games are kind of, you got the Niners and the Seahawks who are playing better than you would have anticipated potentially. Uh, and those are tough games you're going to have to play. Uh, so I, I don't know if Cliff Kingsbury is the answer there as well. I think that could be one of the issues. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. We'll have to see going forward if they can pick it back up. Um, one note in the Rams, they are dead last in terms of EPA per play offensively. Uh, Cooper Cup just got announced going, you know, out with an ankle injury on the IR. So, you know, at three and six, I think – it's almost like, is this team done? Like, this could be the end of the, almost the end of the dynasty for the Rams at this point, th- this version of the Rams, because, you know, Jalen Ramsey's getting up there in age, Aaron Donald's aging, Stafford's an aging quarterback. This core is kind of aging at this point. I mean, Sean McVay um, has kind of talked about being really tied to this core players. Um, you know, three and six have mortgaged a lot of draft picks. You know, I don't know what the, what the next steps are for this Rams team, uh, especially, you know, the way they currently are playing, not very well, bottom of their division, uh, and just the offense does not look great, especially when 
you know, that's kind of what has been touted by your team as being one of kind of the elite, elite parts of it. Um, so I, I don't think they, I think they're almost definitely out of the playoff picture. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, the Broncos, I'd sign worth talking. The Broncos, they're awful. Um, no, no, no one likes Bron- the Broncos fans. Don't like the Broncos. Um, uh, but and, uh, that's besides the point. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see which which of these teams could potentially pull ahead, and, and maybe none of them. We'll see. Um, but uh, to end the podcast today, we will look ahead to the World Cup, which is starting uh, in just under a week. This coming Sunday. And um, kind of looking, I just want to look quickly at kind of the U.S. outlook on the tournament. Um, so the U.S. has been placed in Group B in the World Cup. Uh, and so they will be playing three games uh, against England, Iran, and Wales. So first of all, just looking at the U.S. team that was selected, there was some controversy over the selection of um, Haji Wright instead of and Shaq Moore instead of you know, a guy like Ricardo Pepe or Jordan Sibichu or Jordan Pifak, um, some more, some forwards who have played a little bit better for the youth and national team, um, which, you know, the striker was always going to be kind of the, one of the bigger questions for the youth and national team. So I, I think there's going to be a ton of criticism, especially if, if the strikers don't play well. Um, and we're going to have to see, you know, lo- losing to Japan and, and drawing Saudi Arabia and the most recent friendlies is not made a, not kind of, formed a, a great outlook for the team going into the tournament. So um, that's kind of just the background before coming in, not in great form, a little bit controversy. The striker position, being able to score goals has been one of the issues, um, as has their center backs, um, which are a little bit like a guy like Walker Zim- Zimmerman, Aaron Long are not going to be the best players to be, you know, working fluid. They're not European center backs. So we'll have to see how they can hold up in this competition. You know, looking at the teams that they're going to come up against, uh, Iran is a team that I think poses a real threat to the U.S. because they're a team that's going to sit back in a defensive shape um, and, and is going to want to be able to be stable while also boasting uh, a guy like Mehdi Taremi at Porto's having a great year um, in Europe. You know, Porto's made it to the last 16 of the Champions League, uh, and Mehdi Taremi has been a kind of a staple of that team for a while. So the idea they have him and Sardar Azmoun from Bayer Leverkusen as attackers that they can get the ball to on the counter um, against potentially shaky center backs, that could be a threat to U.S., especially in a game where the, if they want to progress, they really need to win. Um, Wales is one of the most important games. I think it's the, the first game that the U.S. plays because um, Wales is, you know, is, is a team that boasts a similar amount of talent, maybe more talent than the U.S., um, probably just based on, you know, Gareth Bale is probably better than any of the U.S. national team players, uh, barring Brendan Aronson. That's, that's, that's a whole different conversation. Um, but, you know, they've got a lot of talent, um, a lot of attacking talent. So I think it, it'll be an even a, a relatively even game where Wales is going to be wanting to attack more than Iran. Uh, and then finally, England, um, which Black Friday against England is one of the games I'm most excited for about the World Cup. Um, where U.S. is really just going to need to soak up as much press as they can and, and hope to be able to counterpress against this team, um, which, you know, we'll see if that's possible. I, I don't know if anybody really trusts England to be able to, you know, organize possession in, a, in, a, in the most coherent way, um, you know, in a way that they can kind of systematically break down a team. Um, I think there's questions about that. They haven't played well recently as well, but they've got a ton of talent. So, you know, expectations for the U.S. national team, going to be hard like 
be second or third in the group. Um, you know, it's going to be battling for Wales generally about who is going to be able to get that second spot and progress out of the group stages. Um, but, you know, definitely something to watch for. And, you know, I think it's one of the youngest teams at this World Cup. Um, so it, it, it's vital experience for a team whose real, real, you know, stage where they need to be taking part is going to be in 2026 uh, in the World Cup that's going to be hosted here. Um, but definitely going to be exciting to watch. I don't know if you guys have been, been following the World Cup at all or are excited about being able to see the U.S. Men's National Team after not, you know, having been able to play in the past or in the last World Cup. So. I'm not not too familiar, but I'm happy to uh, to hear about all the updates as as we get closer. Yeah, um, same here. Not really too familiar on the subject, but yeah, obviously when you see the U.S. in a situation like that, you're going to want to push for them. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, one last note, I is worth saying, like, um, just worth noting, like, the Qatar World Cup is very, like, you know, human rights abuses have kind of been able to make this World Cup happen. Um, and a lot of the stadiums have been built using, like, slave labor, which is very um, kind of questionable. And the U.S. is doing things to kind of protest their the policies in Qatar about, you know, like, you know, how long LGBTQ um, kind of representation. So, um, I think it, it's definitely worth noting. You can't really talk about the World Cup without also including some of the questionable, you know, questionable social factors that are kind of occurring within the World Cup. But, um, it, it, you know, regardless, it, it will be, you know, fun to see the U.S. play in the World Cup after not having made it in 2018. Um, we'll be excited to see how they can do. Um, but with that, we will close out the show for today. Thank you, everybody, for coming to listen. Um, listen, us catch up about kind of what's happening in the world of sports. So we will, we will talk to you. Um, next time. Thank you.